welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing Edu, the Knowing Me, Knowing Edu podcast with Professor Rob Coe. Thanks for being a guest on our podcast, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. Well, in spite of knowing you for several years, I really have no idea what kind of music you might choose. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to hearing your choices. And I think... Yeah. Hard. Um, very hard. Hard to choose. To choose, yeah. Because yeah. if you'd have said you can choose a hundred, yeah. that would have been okay. Easy. Okay. Well, Three. maybe... Maybe we'll Very provide tough. a list of your top hundred. <laughs> now you've said that, um, so yeah. So I think you're a bit of a, a dark horse, not not oh, okay. a suspicious horse, mm -hmm. a mysterious Nothing horse. Nothing sinister. Nothing sinister, yeah. And that's kind of I've started in talking about horses, comparing you to a horse in a typically Alan Partridge-esque fashion. Um, and I'm also no, a bit nervous about the quality of my questions, given okay. your, your area of work. Yeah. Um, I've got a feeling that you might just go, <clears throat> "That's not a question," or something like that. So interspersed with some music choices, we're going to have a chat about you, your time at school, your background and your work in education. We'll end by asking what one change to the education system would you make if you were in charge for the day? And to get us started, please could you briefly introduce yourself and what you do currently? Okay, yeah, um, Rob Coe. I am a professor of education at Durham University. I'm director of CAM, which is the Centre for Evaluation and Monitoring. That's what I do. That's what you do. And I'll add a bit more. Um, you're an author or co-author of 113 chapters, if you're Durham University profile, as it's like. Sorry, chapters, right? journals, reports, okay. conference papers, and uh, various other publications, including the EEF, the Education Endowment Foundation's Toolkit and DIY Evaluation Guide. Um, you're a researcher, and uh, so I understand uh, Keen Cook a husband, uh, a dad of three, a rower, a member of many policy or technical advisory groups, once called, I don't know if you remember this, the Justin Bieber of education by Sam Friedman. I think you were doing a talk um, at I an event that, that was organised by <laughs> Sam, and I think because it, the tickets went quite quickly, he, um, All right. he's, he's a funny guy. I so think. that's a good yeah. thing. Well, maybe, yeah. Um, popular, I think is what you were saying. And as far as I can tell, you seem to be some sort of university's mystery shopper, having studied at Oxford, King's College, Cambridge and Durham. So anyway, that's the introductions over. Um, can you tell us a bit about your early days? Where did you grow up and what was your experience of primary and secondary school? Okay, I was born in London, actually. In fact, technically within the sound of Bow Bells, Middlesex Hospital. Oh, right. So I can claim to be a cockney. Uh -huh. um, but then I was about one and my family moved to Southend, Southend-on-Sea in Essex and that's uh, that's where I grew up. Yeah, so you grew up in Essex then and went to school? Yeah, in <coughs> yes, Essex. I went to Chalkwell Hall Infant and Junior School um, which is probably about a 10 minute walk from where we lived right. in Westcliff. And then I went to Westcliff High School for Boys, which is the grammar school. Still have grammar schools in Southend. Right. So we did 11 plus, and I can remember certainly most of that last year of junior school, fourth year, we used to call it there, then, year six, spent practicing 11 plus papers. That was mostly what we did. Yeah. So although there weren't any national assessment, you know, didn't have key stage SATs or any of that stuff. Yeah and all the concerns that people have about the curriculum being narrowed yeah. I mean that was really narrow it was you know verbal reasoning and maths and and just just kind of inane 
11 plus tests yeah. again and again and again and again yeah <coughs> benefits of testing well I don't know I mean I I didn't mind that in a way I, I was quite good at it so you know it was a sort of okay have I um, there was a uh, it was basically me and another girl who always came top you know yeah. so it was a kind of battle between Melanie I think her name was one of us would would get the top mark each time and it was quite a sort of public thing you know they'd say here are the marks uh, so you were you got stuck in at school or, or did it come quite easy for you or you um, worked hard you were I was a bit, well behaved uh, I, yeah I was well behaved um, I don't wouldn't say I worked hard though no I don't think it was ever and it was never really interesting I don't think I'm particularly engaged with it um, I think I just coasted really certainly through primary school and I did find it quite easy. I did um, ITA was also another feature of my infant school, the initial teaching alphabet. So this was a uh, a real sort of um, half baked scheme for teaching kids to read by changing all the letters in the alphabet to ones that are phonetic. Right. So whereas you have you know things like the E sound or the letter E, you could have about five different. Yeah. sounds kind of so they'd have a different uh, symbol for each of those sounds oh, right. so you'd have like an E that went backwards and things like that so kids would learn the idea was that was easier that represented the sound yeah because each each uh, grapheme each letter okay. corresponded to exactly one phoneme one sound so that was the theory behind it yeah. the whole generation of kids were taught to read this way in I guess late 60s early 70s or whatever when it was and then um, evaluation came later and they discovered it was an absolute disaster oh. and, and <laughs> made a whole generation of kids who couldn't read or, or you know it's a marginal difference I guess but it, it, it didn't help but it was evaluated I know they found it, it having implemented it because it seemed plausible yeah they then found that actually it did quite a bit of harm um, and there's yeah undoubtedly more stuff out there yes uh, obviously I didn't know that up. at the time no um, so what are your stand up memories of your time at school time at school um, so you remember a lot of testing and, and being competitive right so junior school only. yeah yeah um, I remember playing football in the yard you know with a tennis ball oh yeah so that was a kind of rough game wasn't it that um break the bell or whatever yeah. would go for break and you'd rush out yeah it was all right actually I don't um, see you as a footballer no it's funny isn't it so at school I used to play football the whole time yeah. and and on into secondary school too the same thing we'd rush down onto the field with a football this time we'd graduated to a full-size ball and spend literally the whole lunchtime running around playing football and you sort of rush in run into to the dinner hall to get your lunch quick as you can bolt it down and back out for the second half yeah and that was pretty much every lunchtime unless it was pouring with rain that was that was what we did yeah, yeah. and I would normally um, it was that thing you know where you'd two captains and they'd pick yeah every day would be slightly different and I was I probably wasn't the first pick but I certainly wasn't the last okay. you know you I was were, kind of middle order there. yeah have generally Cohen, Cohen uh, team. yeah defender that okay was, that was normally my role and so were you tall from quite an early age? yeah okay yeah I was tall and like uh, a yap stam. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Please continue with the um, with the podcast. I hope I haven't offended you there. Um, are there any particular teachers that you remember for good or bad? Um, 
from secondary, yeah, Mr. Welsh was my maths teacher. And he taught me, I think, pretty much the whole of secondary, taught me maths. And he seemed to always take the, the top set. So even within the grammar school, then there's still streaming. And there was this top group that, that he had more or less that whole way through. And he was a, a lovely man. He, I mean, he, he struggled a bit even to control this top set in the grammar school who were highly motivated and, mm. you know, because he didn't really have the, you know, with a tough class, he'd have been, he'd have been in trouble, I guess. But he wasn't in trouble because we, we, you know, we teased him gently perhaps, but we didn't really push it too far. Okay. And he was always, he was very good at just explaining ideas, I think, was the main thing he could set it out logically and connect it with things that you knew already and mm -hmm. just give you the right amount of explanation and examples and I think it was probably quite a good model for how to teach maths actually, mm -hmm. which I guess I then drew on when I became a maths teacher yeah, later, later on. on. Come to. Yeah. Um, a little birdie told me that you wanted to be Bertrand Russell. <laughs> um, so who, was Stuart, who, wasn't it? It yeah. was Stuart, Stuart Kime. Um, so when, 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 when was that? And okay. Why? And perhaps tell us a bit about yeah. Bertrand Russell. Okay, yeah. So um, I guess through later secondary, so coming up to O-level, as it then was, sounding all very old-fashioned, isn't it? But, um, and I, I, I guess around about that time, I decided that maths was the thing I wanted to do. And I, I took A-levels in maths, further maths, physics and chemistry. And it was the maths that I was interested in. Um, and I was also interested in philosophy. I, d I did a lot of reading. I was quite a sort of bookish child, I suppose, apart from playing football at lunchtime. I didn't, there weren't really any sort of le leisure activities that played yeah. a big part in my life. So I, I would read stuff and I got interested in philosophy and I read things like um, Bertrand Russell's History of Western Philosophy, which is, you know, it's probably a, a three inch. Yeah book that goes back from the you know the early Greek philosophers pre-Aristotle uh, pre-Plato um, through all the you know the Greeks and then the, the medieval philosophers and on to the later stuff in a kind of chronological sequence and it's a particular view of, of philosophy I'm sure if you're a proper philosopher you'd think yeah. it was a bit of a um, you know, popularized. He was a, what was he a, a logician? He was yeah, a logician's view of philosophy or approach. Yeah, well, a, a British and um, um, you know there are all these different strands in philosophy. He didn't he didn't get the continental style of thinking. I don't think really. So, but you know that was okay. I was British, and that was that was a view that I could understand and relate to. And it's it's a well written book, mm -hmm. but it is you know it's a heavy heavy going long. Yeah thing so age 15 or whatever I'd sit and plough through that okay and were you able to get your hands on a poster of Bertrand Russell to put on, put on your wall so you, your colleagues no. playing football maybe are <laughs> going for Bobby Charlton or, or whoever um, and 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 you've got Bertrand Russell as right your, as your idol no I well so I admired him I think because he seemed to be he'd, he'd done really interesting things in a range of areas so he was a mathematician and he then started working on the foundations of mathematics, the logic. Yeah. Uh, but he'd also made a contribution to to wider philosophy and particularly 
I guess writing this I don't know would it be a textbook or, you know a history anyway um, but he was also he was a, a peace activist and so he was active in CND even then or maybe he had just died I don't know but he um, he had been he'd been a pacifist in the first world war and gone to prison for it you know so he's a kind of principled social justice campaigner as well as being a uh, an intellectual a mathematician and somebody who'd actually made a I think quite an interesting contribution to the whole philosophy of maths because he'd, he'd pursued this agenda of trying to build a logical foundation for mathematics yeah. and, and ultimately failed to do it so it was quite a okay. that was an interesting story I don't think I knew too much about his personal life which I, I don't think is quite so impressive really yeah uh, remember how many wives he had but he was a, a bit right. of a philanderer and a, probably not a very nice man actually but I was willing to overlook that for yeah, his, his other intellectual achievements yeah okay so that I thought that that was um, that was an interesting place to be to be a mathematician but also to be interested in in philosophy and yeah. stuff like that <clears throat> okay and um, just to finish up on this sort of time at school then yeah um, when you think back to your time at school, you, you mentioned you were um, quite an avid reader. Are there any particular yeah. authors or, or books that um, stand out for you? Yeah, well, read a lot of uh, different stuff over that period. So I, I can remember, for example, and all of these came from the library, public library. Oh, yeah. Well, not all of them. So a few, there were a few books, you know, my, my parents did have books, but they didn't have thousands of books. And yeah, so I used to go to, to Southend Library and get a sort of stack of books and, and go and read them and then take them back the next Saturday, Saturday morning. That was kind of yeah. what I did, yeah, imagine that. So I can remember things like going through a phase of, of and this sounds a bit pretentious really, but reading Dickens, you know, so I'd, I'd, I'd probably read 20 Dickens in, in, a, in a couple of months or something like that. Yeah, wow. I know. I know that seems odd, doesn't it? So no, no <coughs> whopping two or four p fines for you. <laughs> I remember, that's what I remember about the libraries. The kind of, you've been fined. Oh my god! Yeah, how much no. do I owe? It's three pence. <laughs> I can manage that. I think. Um, no, I don't remember ever being fined actually. So that, that's kind of goody goody. I was. Yeah, yeah. really. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask you for your first um, music selection. Okay, so you're right. So, back to that yeah, so that relates to that time completely. And it was an odd sort of thing because um, I was interested then in quite a range of different music. I mean, I, I played the cello and I played in the school orchestra and I played in the South End Youth Orchestra. And there was some, we did some quite interesting repertoire. So I, I loved a lot of classical music partly through that and my my parents were really more into that I guess so that was the sort of background I had that um, I knew a bit about classical music and I, so that kind of got me into that but then obviously at school that wasn't the main thing that that you know kids would talk about even if they were interested in that and uh, I suppose the group of friends that I was with again it was a bit mixed there was, there was some sort of um, heavy metal types and and that sort of you know, serious end of, um, well, I, I wasn't particularly into that. But um, the music that I remember distinctly from that time was stuff that I heard on Radio Caroline. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the ship. The ship, mm -hmm. yeah, the pirate radio. 
and that was you could pick that up on on medium wave and I had a little transistor radio right. you know remember those sort of yeah. I don't know just a little what would you say size of a brick smaller than a brick yeah and really tinny because you know medium wave is never yeah high quality is it um, uh, but I can remember listening to Radio Caroline and then playing a whole sort of um, other world of music that that you, you could, couldn't seem to access any other way. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't true. You could go into a, a record shop and just buy the records. But somehow, I guess I didn't have much pocket money. Yeah. Actually, the library had records no, too. <laughs> but you had to you had to pay for records, but they didn't always have the ones you wanted. So it was. I can remember sitting in, uh, you know, being in my bedroom, ha listening to this rather crackly transistor radio, and they would play things like so it was stuff like you know um, Hotel California or Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. or um, uh, Stairway to Heaven, stuff like that. You know, yeah. which is sort of classic now. We'd say classic rock. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I mean, total <coughs> suspense now as to what you're going to. Okay, but what I'm going to choose is is Pink Floyd. Because again, they play these long tracks, you know, they're like 10 minute tracks. And they, again, I, I guess a bit sort of um, classical in their structure because right. of that length and the way they were designed. So, um, and again, that's a hard choice, you know, which which one would you choose? But I think I'd, I'd go for um, Shine On Your Crazy Diamond and Wish You Were Here, okay. which is, it is one of those long tracks. It kind of builds and I think it just, it takes me back to that time. Remember when you were young <laughs> You shone like the sun 